You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. This will be your host, Abraham. And I'm Shane. And today we get to talk about my absolute favorite thing, I think. Pizza. Pizza, yeah. It's up there (laughs) (laughs) with my favorite things. So it's going to be more sort of discussion format than expositional format, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think we're just going to have a nice deep conversation about this because I guess my perspective on when we start talking about why we do what we do, one of the big things is having good definitions and an understanding of what a concept is. And so in order to ever do a deep dive on this thing or on leisure activities in general, we must first understand the depth of this thing. So what is the thing we're talking about today? I was going to say, so this thing that keeps being referred to is board games. More broadly speaking and technically more accurately speaking, tabletop games, because (laughs) many of these games do not include a board and instead have just dice, have cards, or have sometimes even just a book. And it's more like someone guides a discussion where people take on different roles. So it's a role-playing game. There are a lot of different ways it could look, and therefore the nomenclature that has been adopted is tabletop games to broadly refer to all of those things. And most people think of them as board games, and I think that that's perfectly fine. And what's great about this is that the definition is also a little bit broad, especially because board games have been around for so long. Most of the what we think might be original board games that date back thousands of years, we don't actually know how they were played. There weren't really instructions that seemed to have survived that, and they didn't necessarily get passed from culture to culture. At, you know, at some point, that stopped. So as I started thinking about board games, one of the things I started thinking about was the different types of games that I've played, like tabletop things, and, and, and even just kind of traveling games and stuff, being in vans and touring in bands and stuff, and kind of the different things that we would do as a result, and, and kind of going to the idea of that maybe some of the games aren't transferred over. I wonder how well games like I Spy will be transferred down culturally. You know, like we're in the car, we're, or like the alphabet game where you're just like naming things. Uh, you know, I wonder how that's going to be. I mean, I know those don't really fit the description of a board game, but I just always, that it's just an interesting thought to think of like what might have been lost to history. Yeah, great point. And that, that does speak to, again, that what counts as a game, whether it would be counted as a board game or a tabletop game or something else. And it seems to be that it's really anything where you're seeking some kind of stimulation that doesn't necessarily result in a specific output like it's you know foraging for food isn't necessarily a game just by virtue of the fact that you're doing it that being said one interesting thing about this concept of games or playfulness and there have been some research i didn't dig into a particularly deep dive for this episode but i'm peripherally familiar with research that shows that just saying that something is a game can have people interact with it in a different way that is a little more fun and a little more lighthearted and more willingness to engage. But it's interesting that our species in particular, we seek out a lot of this play that the play that we do, again, it doesn't have a specific output. It seems to be stimulation for the sake of stimulation just because it's fun, you know? Yeah. And there are other species that we've observed that do this play thing That's obviously not as complex as board games or anything like that, but it's hard because we always are in the position of trying to superimpose or project our own thoughts about what they're doing onto the behaviors that we observe. But we do see these things that look like they're non-directed 
productless activities that look like they're just seeking stimulation. So you see animals that'll sort of attack each other, but they're not growling or hissing or making any kind of noise. It seems like they're just rolling around just to roll around because it's fun to do. You'll see animals in urban settings where what they'll do very interestingly is they'll wait at the edge of a road until a car is coming and then they'll try and dart they'll dart across the road right before the car is there and it's like it's almost like they're challenging themselves to like try and beat the car which is a terrible idea so for any of you squirrels listening Uh, (laughs) that's what i say any of you squirrels don't do that i've seen too many of you fallen folks yeah and rabbits too if you can understand what i'm saying to you (laughs) (laughs) for our squirrel demographic out there that's right Lots of podcasts out there <laughs> among the scugs. Deep cut on that one. Anyway, this this whole concept of play is really interesting, and it's it's difficult to define because a game isn't necessarily a game just because it has rules. It doesn't even necessarily have to have material objects, and so it's fairly broad. And I I just love this whole concept of play, playfulness, and games. Now, part of what I like about games is in fact the the sort of structure of rules. And part of it is because that creates a challenge. And that seems to be one of the core elements of a game is that there's some aspect of challenge. And there are plenty of examples where there really isn't an aspect of challenge. It's just like, just do something. But it seems to me that for most games or something that we would call a game or playfulness around this concept of games, there's a challenge to overcome in some capacity. That is sort of a common theme throughout. You know, something that I've noticed in a lot of games is, I guess maybe there's a certain type of game that I tend to think about more, but games that require you to strategize and outsmart somebody, but to the degree that like there might be a, what we call signs of damage to it. You know, like I think about the game, sorry, where it's like, like it's more fun to get somebody out and go, sorry, than it is to actually play the game or like Uno, right? Like everybody loves that draw four card, not because it gives you a one up on the game, but because you get to make somebody else go, Oh, come on <laughs> to me. Like that's, I think maybe that just sticks out. Maybe that's just why some games are fun for me. Cause it's like a harmless, like gotcha. But when we started thinking about this topic, I was just like, there's so many different ways that we could go about this. Right. And I love that it is so broad and so vast. And that probably most everybody that is listening here has probably had some experience with something like this. Yeah. I've thought a good deal about, what you see in games. And I think you could broadly categorize them on a spectrum between luck and strategy. And there is sort of a third axis here. That's neither of those two things that we'll speak to in terms of sort of categories of games. But for the most part, you have games that sit along that spectrum of either being primarily luck-based, like shoots and ladders. There's no strategy in that game. You don't do anything. You just roll. Like, if two robots sat down and played that game, and their only rule was roll dice, follow what dice do, the outcome would be exactly the same as two humans. Right. Like, that game, there's nothing to do. Like, you don't choose anything. You don't do anything. It's completely luck. And on the other hand, you can have something that's 100% strategy, like chess. And in that one, there is no luck whatsoever. It's just very, very heavy. You are trying to strategize the best move to make, which is very dynamic. And the advantage to luck-based games is that they're easy. They're so easy. Right. So, you know, when you tend toward that, you don't have to you don't have to work very hard to do them. 
And to me, that that negates a lot of the challenge, which for me makes it a little less fun. But the problem when you get too heavy on strategy sometimes is that as soon as somebody has a way to exploit the rules, find loopholes, or get so, so good at it, that it becomes really one-sided, and then the challenge becomes impossible. And it's not fun to do something where you know you can't be successful. You know, right. It's fun because there's the opportunity to potentially be successful. Although for me, I don't really care about winning all that much. I really like the idea of just playing the game. I really like working through the strategy and figuring out the rules and, and that sort of thing. So I think there is an element of it that doesn't necessarily matter <laughs> for many people. Right. I'm just not very competitive. And so I just, I just like to play. With that being said, then, because there are so many different types of games, like, can you give us like a, like a kind of a broad overview of the different categories of games that do exist? Because you kind of mentioned luck. We talked about strategy and all these different things, but I think we could probably get more specific than that, right? Yeah. And I want to answer your question directly. And I do want to come back to one thing that I've struggled with is how to actually figure out why I like games so much and to try and dissect what is going on psychologically why do people like games why do i like games why do we want to play games and anyway but let me answer your question first which is the categories of games and so some that and i just made these up but i play a lot and so (laughs) i this is how i tend to see most games fall into this category and i went through a list of about 300 random games to compare them to the categories i came up with to make sure that they fit and I didn't find any non-examples. And so what I'm talking about categories has to do with the objective of the game. Yeah. So it's like how how do you win or how does the game end? Okay. Right. Because the objective informs the strategy or I guess the gameplay. And that's why I, I came up with these categories. So race to the end is essentially the first person to accomplish a certain goal wins. So anyway, that's that's one of the categories. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like Candyland. Yes, that's exactly it. It is a race to the end game. Another one is a last person standing game, which is that people for various conditions get eliminated as players until there's only one player left. There is a very similar theme on this, which is sometimes the game ends when one person goes out. And so it's like the first person out loses, but then everyone else sort of compares their points or their position in the game. And then they determine a winner based on that. Yeah, like Battleship. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there you go. So yeah, the last person standing battleship is an example of that. Thank you for throwing your examples here. <laughs> I'm just going back to when I was a kid and I'm like, yeah, I get that one. That's great. Another common one that you'll see is where there's a set number of rounds. So basically people take turns for a, a number of rounds. And then once those rounds are done, then you compare points and see who won. That would be like Scrabble. No, like Yahtzee. Yahtzee and well there's not a I guess there are a set number of rounds in Yahtzee for the most part it's a little bit flexible so it's not like there's always going to be 10 or 12 turns but it's going to probably hover around that number I'm forgetting <laughs> the exact Yahtzee scorecard but yeah so uh, yeah you're right that, that one's that one's pretty close there are other games too where it's like there's going to be exactly six rounds and everybody gets one turn every round and once those six rounds are over the game is done you count up your points and see who won Okay, And that's a common. But yes, Yahtzee, I think, is a a good example of that for the most part. There's another theme of game that I have a couple of names for. And the most diplomatic name I came up for was an exhaustion. And essentially (laughs) what I mean by that is you basically play until you don't want to play anymore. These are games that I also uncharitably call them pointless games. 
These are games <laughs> where you just play until you're done playing, and then you could compare points if you want to, but it doesn't. That's not really the reason that you played for most people. And examples of this include things like catchphrase, taboo, cards against humanity, yeah, apples to apples. So those are games where the point of the game is to be engaged with your group. And sure, some people get competitive and they'll count up how many cards they got or or whatever it is they got in the end of the game and they'll try and determine a winner. But for the most part, the point is just to play. And other, there is no ob- actual objective. Yeah, like in Cards Against Humanity, there is a point, but like that's kind of like a secondary or tertiary like objective. It is definitely more to like make everybody laugh and just have fun. Exactly right. Loaded questions is another example of this. Yeah. And I'm not actually bagging on them by calling them pointless. A lot of these I really like. Actually, Taboo is one of my favorite games. I think Taboo is amazing. It's just a category where there's not necessarily a clear objective for the most part. You kind of just play until you are exhausted and don't want to play anymore. Right. You could maybe even put Risk and Monopoly in those categories, although they do technically have an end. It just feels like you play until you don't want to play anymore because (laughs) I feel like that's how most of those games go. Listen, you can only buy so much property before you're just done. Well, and like, how many times are you like borrowing money and mortgaging your stuff? And it's like, it gets super one-sided really fast. And then it just goes downhill for 12 or 13 hours if you make it that long. (laughs) I don't actually know that I've ever finished a game of Monopoly. I think I've played for eight to 10 hours over the course of a few days. And finally, we're just like moving on to other things in life because this game doesn't have an end. Right. And also... Late stage capitalism isn't fun. <laughs> Unbridled. <laughs> there can be only one. I would play a Highlander board game. I bet you anything that one exists. I don't know of one explicitly, but I'm sure it does. Listeners, if you're out there, if you find a Highlander board game, let us know. <laughs> and then the final one, and I'm, I'm curious if you've heard of these. Have you heard of cooperative or co-op board games? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that I probably have once you describe them, but I'm not I'm not quite sure off the top of my head. Okay. I also think of these as sort of survival games, and the point is that everybody who's playing is trying to beat the game itself. And the game is set up to try and put in enough conditions that the game ends before you can beat it. And so everybody is working together to try and beat the game. And one of the most popular games that exists in this category, ironically enough, is called Pandemic. And <laughs> the whole idea, I know, right? Good timing. Uh, yep. The whole idea of this game, have you heard of this one before? Oh, I've played it. It's great. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's an example of a cooperative game where the idea is everybody are these various scientists who have special roles and Every turn, you try and take some action to stop diseases from spreading. By the end of the turn, you have to draw from a deck that causes the disease to spread. And so you're sort of fighting the game the whole time to meet an end game condition before the game itself meets one of the end game conditions that causes you to lose. And so in this one, in Pandemic, all the players are trying to find a cure for the the various diseases and eradicate them as much as possible. It's been a long time since I've played Clue, but I feel like that's one of the things too, is like you've got a group of people that are trying to find the murderer. Like there's like a cooperative, like even though everybody's kind of playing against each other, the same goal is like 
they're all still like gathering clues together and gathering information together to figure out who the murderer is. I actually never thought of Clue that way. You're right that it does definitely have that element. I think of Clue more of as a race to the end game because you're trying to be the first one to get the information. Right. And you're right that everyone is sort of, they, they all have a common goal, if you will. Yeah. There are also games that fall into this cooperative category called semi-co-op, which usually means that although for the most part people are working together, there are conditions under which one or multiple players will turn against the group. A common example of this for those people who are familiar with it is a game called Betrayal at House on the Hill. Okay. And the game starts out cooperative where everyone's working together, but at some point they'll trigger an event. They're, you're basically pulling tiles from a stack of shuffled tiles to create the board. And you place down a tile next to an existing tile, and every time you place one down, something will happen at almost every single tile, and a lot of them will trigger these events. And it, once you've triggered enough events, depending on a dice roll, then it will result in somebody having to turn against the group. And then they get like a separate set of instructions for what their new objective is. Okay. And then it's that person or a couple of people versus the group. And so it's, it's a good game. I'd, I'd recommend it. And another example of this is dead of winter. If you've heard of that one, this is a, a zombie survival game where for the most part, everybody's working together against the zombies And at the beginning of the game, everybody has dealt secret objectives, and those do contain some betrayal conditions where you you technically only (laughs) win if you meet this other criteria that involves sort of screwing over the other players. So in that one, you don't even necessarily know who, if at all, someone's going to betray the group. It's like if aliens were a game. Like, there's somebody in the group that's definitely going to betray everybody. (laughs) Fair. I also think that that is a game that exists, but I could be wrong. (laughs) It's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. I was looking at before we recorded the number of games that have been published and because the timeline on this is really interesting. And so there were somewhere between, I want to say like 20 and 30 new games being published every year for the bulk of the century. And then in the 90s, something happened which was, well, it's actually in the 70s, they started really increasing and a a bunch of new board games were invented and that sort of thing. But for the most part, you sort of had your classics. You had Pictionary, Chess, Checkers, Backgammon, those existed. Monopoly, Life has been around for a long time. And there were new games sort of coming on the scene and they'd maybe get a little traction and that sort of thing. And then in the 90s, a game called Settlers of Catan was published. Have you heard of this one? I've not. Okay. Settlers of Catan was published and this game spawned a huge growth in the game industry. I want to say it was published in 1995. The essential theme of the game is that it's a board game where you create the board before you start out of a bunch of hex tiles and sort of creates this sort of hive looking map that's an island. And you set up a couple of places on the island where you control these hexes or well, you can share control of the hexes, but the hexes produce resources. You use those resources to build more things or to try and buy things that equate to points. And then the first person to get 10 points wins is essentially the theme of the game. Okay. And it's, it's a really fun game. I really like it. And it's one of the, the more well-known ones because that game was published and that spawned a new generation of publishers developing games. It's hard to say that there was a cause-effect relationship. What we do know is that Settlers of Catan happened, and the rate of games being published about tripled. That's wild. So we were getting 
hundreds of new games being published per year. You know what's really interesting about that is because in the 90s, you saw this really big video game boom too. Like you saw these huge advances in video games. So you would, I mean, by just like a gut reaction, there's, there's no science behind this. I would assume that as video games increased and as those became more popular, board games would become less popular. But it sounds like both of those things happened at the same time. So maybe leisure play, like leisure activities just became more popular in the 90s for some reason. Thanks to the Clinton administration, probably. Just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, hot takes! <laughs> Settlers of Catan was a, a European game that made its way over here. But... Also in the late 90s is when the first edition of Pandemic was published, and following that publication, we saw the rate about quadruple from its new rate. So now we were getting upwards of a thousand new games a year, and that trend has just continued. We are getting thousands of new board games a year, or tabletop games, I should say. That's wild. I know. It's hard to imagine because it's like, how, how many different ideas could there be for games? And that's actually how you start to see as I, as I came up with these categories is like you are starting to see variations on similar themes, but I mean, they just keep coming out with these creative, awesome, new inventive ideas. And some of these co-op games, they've actually really started to integrate heavily with other things like apps. And so one of my favorite games I'll speak to a little bit later uses a physical board and physical pieces, but you also have an app set up. You can use it on an, on a laptop or a computer or an iPad or some other tablet device, whatever. And the app will tell you how to arrange the board game pieces and the board itself. And then you make decisions and then you tell the app what decision you made and it'll tell you what to do next. Yeah. And it sort of functions for anybody who's played Dungeons and Dragons the app itself functions as like a dungeon master okay so or a, a game master it sort of directs the the game of play but you still make all the choices you still roll the dice for luck physical dice that you hold you know but it's a really cool way to integrate these systems so that you get more variety of play it makes it a little easier for several components of the game and that they just get increasingly more creative with how to develop these new ideas for games. It's awesome. I guess this is just a really great area to start looking at human innovation and creativity. Like it's a really great space to start kind of taking, taking a moment to analyze storytelling and planning and all in this problem solving. There's so much that goes into board games that or tabletop games. I should say there's so much that goes into it. It's just really an interesting study on human and human behavior. Yeah. And I, once you have played enough of them, you start to notice common themes in terms of how they try and structure things like acquiring points and stuff. And that to me in no way takes away from the quality of the game. If you think about like popular music, for instance, or even songs that are maybe not popular, but are things that you like, you also will probably, once you've listened to enough of them, be able to identify things about them that you like that when you hear a new song that has that component, you're like, oh, I like this. This is a thing that appeals to me. Right. And so, you know, I think major chords and and basic simple harmonies are something, not to sound offensive or anything, but most people would hear that in their music and think, oh, I like this. This is, this is familiar. And therefore, if it's different from what you know, but it has those familiar elements, you're more likely to enjoy it right away. Right. And that's, I think, something similar here, although I do think that there's still a lot of room for creativity in these games. So actually I'm curious, Shane, to hear, I want to come back to this conversation we were having because I still don't fully understand what's going on psychologically with why this is for me and other people such a huge, like, why, why do we do this? 
And I think that is such a tough question to unpack here. I mean, like, you know, my gut reaction to all this would be, you know, maybe the first thing would be, you know, people like the challenge, right? There's something reinforcing about the challenge and kind of overcoming a problem. You know, I, I would think there's probably, there's got to be some genetic link somewhere to some kind of survival thing, right? And survival would probably have to do with overcoming some major problem. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. I, you know, I think maybe it's just something that's a distraction, you know, when you start looking at like, maybe people like to play because there's other stuff going on in the world. Maybe people like to problem solve. I mean, there's just, there's to me, I don't know that I have a good answer because I think that there are so many different elements, especially because you just kind of gave an example. Like there are so many exemplars of board games and tabletop games that I don't know that you would be able to pin down a singular thing. Yeah, you're right. I think there's probably what's difficult about it is that it's different for a lot of people in a lot of different contexts. And you raised a good point, which is something that I've heard talked about in the acceptance and commitment training and acceptance and commitment therapy, literature, philosophy, that sort of thing, that we historically as a species have had to be problem solving machines. Like that is part of what has made us so successful is that we are constantly faced with and overcome challenges. And so I think that there is something about being able to complete or escape or otherwise solve some kind of challenge that carries with it some relatively inherent rewarding properties. And that what a game does, any kind of playfulness really, is it takes the challenge and it makes the stakes really low. So like if you're fighting for survival, that's not really fun for most people. I, I suppose it certainly could be, but at least in the Bear Grylls is Bear Grylls loves that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I suppose, you know, I maybe maybe an example like hang gliding might maybe is something that's sort of like this or, or skydiving or doing anything that's particularly dangerous. But, you know, when when you're. Those are situations where you go on expecting safety. If you find yourself in a situation where you're, it was unexpected and you were actually, you know, might die, that's probably not something that feels like a lot of fun in the moment, at least. Right. But with a game, it's super low stakes for most people. Like, unless you have a ton of money writing on it, you're in a tournament or something. Most of the time you sit down and play games and it's it's just you get to do the the challenge overcoming part of it without having anything really important at stake. And that's fun. So I think that that's part of what's going on. Yeah. And I was reading something not too long ago, too, about like pro-social behavior and just kind of the social behavior of humans in general and storytelling related to that Mm -hmm. and how there might be some kind of like artifact of that within tabletop games. You think about like people gathering around a, a common thing, something that is leisurely, you know, like I was reading a story about how some people would believe that early humans would gather around campfires at night and tell stories during the day they would gather around campfires to discuss strategy for the day and planning for the day and and survival things but at night as everything was winding down and the needs of the day were met and and the goals of the day were met the nighttime campfire would be spent more discussing stories and kind of sharing language and sharing those tales down the you know as part of like a cultural selection piece yeah cool so i'm wondering if there might be something like that within within this kind of space too like there is an element of storytelling in a lot of these games like a lot of the more complex games there is like this cool storytelling not like battleship which is they tried to tell the story using rihanna it did not work (laughs) 
<laughs> but like more complex games have a really deep, rich story. I mean, I liken it to comic books. Like people will kind of make fun of people for reading comic books or they kind of write it off as like this like goofy thing. But the truth is, is some of the best stories I've ever read were in comic book form. They could not have been portrayed any other way. And so maybe there's something that has to do with storytelling and pro-social behavior within that tabletop game element that maybe we're not accounting for. Well, I think you you have to be right, at least in some capacity, because almost every single game that exists has some kind of theme in some way. Even if it's just a little gimmick or a little piece of art, you don't just get a bunch of blank pieces with some straightforward rules and then play. They usually have some art done on them, and most of them have some kind of story or theme, or you might call even fluff, where it's not in any way critical to the game but it makes it way more engaging right? because you have a story, because you have characters, because there's like a background in which it's set. And I'll speak to some examples of that when we talk about some of the games that I'm going to recommend coming up where you, one of the big selling points is the theme. And I think that sometimes the theme is actually the biggest selling point of some of the games that exist. So, yeah. And I think when you, when people talk about games, they don't talk about like, Oh, I loved guess who, because of the way that the boards worked. It was like, I, I loved playing this game because it had this element, this discussion, like this, this part of it was funny. This artwork was really interesting. Like, you know, nobody talks about clue because they're like, I really like the way the board is set up. It's like, I like clue because there is a fun story to tell. There's a murder to solve. Like, and there may be people that just, that's like, they're just like art fanatics for games. And I'm certainly not trying to dismiss that, but for the most part, there's a reason why we like books and there's a reason why we like movies or like songs with a story. I mean, like there's just so much storytelling in our experience as human beings that tabletop games are just another layer of that to me. And another thing that you said that I I definitely want to speak to for myself is board games are highly social to me. This is one of the best ways that I have for really interacting with people, especially new people where I get to be social with them because I've never been overly fond of these super abstract gatherings where you're expected to make small talk and sort of introduce yourself to someone new and have a a very perfunctory conversation about the weather and your job and the current news and that sort of thing. And that's fine. Like I get it and I, I can do it. But when you show up to a gathering of people and that's all you do for like four hours to me, I'm just like, Oh God, I can't wait till this is over. Yeah. But when you have a directed activity where it's like, you guys, like, I don't know who you are, but we are in this together. Like we're going to take <laughs> on the role. I'm going to be this sheriff person. You're going to be a zombie. You're over there going to be a, uh, I don't know, pilot or something. Yeah. And like, we're going to fight. Like that's what's happening right now. And we know exactly what we're doing and why we're here. And that to me is way more fun. And to the point where I can do it just endlessly. It's like a social lubricant. Yes. Yeah. One that does not involve you having to get super stupid with inebriation. Yeah. Or even touch anybody, really, if you really plan it. True. And that makes sense. Like, you know, now you're turning like a situation that is abstract into like there's an objective within an objective, right? Like we're here to play this game, but now there's this other objective where like now I can network, now I can connect with people, now I can make these social interactions more meaningful based on this shared experience and this shared objective. Now we're tying everybody together. Now we're bringing the tribe together and we're making it happen. Right. Yeah. So I did want to solicit as much as possible some ideas from people for recommendations they had for some of their favorite games. And so just speaking to the the why we do what we do crew. I had 
Alan suggested, he said he likes a lot of the classics. He said Monopoly and Clue. Amber pitched in. She said that some of her favorites included Taboo and Catchphrase. Justin, our uh, audio engineer, said that his favorites included Pictionary and Cards Against Humanity. And Shane, what were your picks? So I actually picked Mousetrap and Kerplunk because, I mean, those were ones that I remember really loving when I was a kid. But man, Mousetrap. I love Rube Goldberg machines. I think that stuff is so interesting. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, There's one that I just remembered as you were talking about that, I think, called Don't Break the Ice. And it's almost like Jenga, but horizontally. Did you you play that one? Uh huh. Yeah. No, yeah. I, so like, so that one was a, a blast. I mean, that there's like a series of games around that, like at that time that came out from that company that were a lot of fun. There was another one I never played, but I, I was aware of where it's like, you have to get your piece up to this bridge and then cross the bridge. But there's a, there's a mechanical button you hit that shakes the bridge. And if your piece falls off, you have to go wherever it lands. You have to start back over there. Yeah. You, and you carry a jewel. You're carrying a jewel. Yes. Yeah. Like in a backpack or something. Yeah. That game is great. I can't remember what it's called now, but. We did have a couple of listeners chime in, Miranda, and was that our Miranda or was it someone else? I think so. Yeah. Oh, sweet. She said that one of her favorites was Wingspan, which is awesome. Great recommendation there. A friend of mine I work with, Courtney, said that her three favorite games are Cthulhu Wars, Mystic Veil, and the classic of Cribbage. Awesome. Some cool ones there. Anything Cthulhu related, I am, I am fully in for. There are so many Cthulhu related games. Actually, one of the ones I mentioned earlier and I'll be talking about as my one of my favorites is a Cthulhu based HP Lovecraft themed game. Is it one of those weird ones where he's like not just a product of his times but super racist? No, they they actually did a really good job of just cutting all that stuff out of it for the most part. Okay, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of it in sort of subtext that's uncomfortable, but they actually did a pretty good job extracting the characters and story from his personal views, I guess. Yeah. What for him would have been contemporary positions on race that were just wildly (laughs) inappropriate in a modern setting. Yep. 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 Oh, HP. What were you doing? Yeah. It's unfortunate because I like a lot of the ideas, but the execution can be rough. So yeah, I hear that. All right. So the bulk of this episode is like a giant recommendation section, I think. (laughs) So I would just like to pitch some ideas for games. And part of my thought on this was that I would make recommendations for people who are looking at games, but coming for maybe different reasons. Yeah. Looking at games. And I just think we are in this amazing board games renaissance right now. And I mean, it's been going on for quite some time. But geez, the last like 10, 15 years has just been incredible boom in innovation and creativity and novel applications of old rules. Like it has just been phenomenal. And like there is no better time to start getting involved in this and like find find a game that works for you. Right. And more coming all the time. As I said, one of my go to's is Kickstarter. And I'm sure that there are other sources and sites like that that help people set up games. But Kickstarter, I have backed, I think, 32 games on <laughs> Kickstarter. It's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> like so many. And it's just like, they, they're so cool. And the idea, what they do on Kickstarter that I love so much is if you back at a certain level, then you often get this like exclusive Kickstarter content and there's like bonus deluxe stuff that they'll throw in. Right. That's so cool. That's like, you can only get it this one place. And I'm like, ah, oh, I already want to have this game and like having a game with a, the little extra 
whipped cream on top is is even better. So like, it's delightful. Exactly. Like, yeah, I'll pay a few extra dollars for that. Well, and then oftentimes they actually will specifically market on Kickstarter to be below the MSRP, I think to entice people to help them invest. And so it's basically sort of a crowdsourced investment in building board games. And you can sort of decide if you want to be involved in that game. And they'll like send you updates. They'll pull the backers a lot of times. So for example, there's a game I've backed that's going on right now where they're saying, hey, we want to create this one character for the game that because we met all these funding goals that we weren't even expecting we'd be able to hit. We want any of our backers to chime in with suggestions for what they think they would like this character to be. And so they're, you know, like that's a cool thing to participate in. Yeah. It's like, it's nice to kind of, you know, within a a circle where there are some social skills going on and there are the social interactions that you have the space to be creative too. Like that's a really nice community to be able to build. Yeah. It's, it's just one of the coolest things and I, I just love it. So, Okay. My first set of recommendations is for what I would call the casual gamer, someone who doesn't necessarily want to be really involved in board games and they don't want to learn a set of super complex rules of games. And I was specifically was trying to think of games that a lot of people maybe haven't tried or maybe even haven't heard of, but are really easy to pick up and play and oftentimes work for kind of most demographics in terms of age and ability and that sort of thing. And it seems like most of the people on, on this team sort of fall into that category. You know, it seems like you, you yourself much more as a casual gamer than an expert gamer. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, I am. If you saw my list of board games, you would be like, oh, honey. <laughs> Shane, what are you doing, man? <laughs> You'd be like, oh, bless your buttons. Yeah. Next time, just drop a little coin on something different. <laughs> And these are in no particular order. I didn't I didn't rank them. I just was thinking of and I try to come up with about 10 for each. And I'm curious uh, if you've heard of these. Have you heard of Ticket to Ride? I've not. Okay. Ticket to Ride is very easy game to sit down and pick up. The idea essentially sounds super boring, but it's amazingly fun. And what it is is you're creating these railroad tracks across various countries. I believe the original one was a map of the US. But there, I think most major countries, there's, I know India, there's one, I believe that Europe has one, I believe that China, there's one, I'm not 100% sure. But essentially, you draw these objective cards for maps that you, or for train routes that you could create, and the longer it is, the more points it's worth. But the problem is there's limited route space. So you are competing with your teammates, essentially place trains to connect these different cities. And stuff like that. Okay. And again, it sounds boring. It's actually really, really fun. And that one would fall into the race to the end category. It's basically the first person to get rid of all their trains. But at that point, then you still total up all your points and whoever's the most points wins. So being first does not mean that you win. Right. That's awesome. Next one is code names. Have you heard of that one? I have not. I'm going to give you a heads up. I am looking at this list. I have heard of literally one game on this. Which one have you heard of? Bananagrams. Okay. And Pandemic. And Pandemic. So two. Okay. Oh, that's on a different set of the list, but okay. Codenames is, I like to take responsibility for this, making it to Reno, although that's probably not in any way accurate, (laughs) but I definitely introduced it to a lot of people who loved it and immediately picked it up. This game is very easy and it is so fun. And the idea is essentially that you have teams and each team has a person who knows the correct answer and you have a bunch of tiles on the board that have names on it and you can give your team one word 
to guess as many tiles as they can that are the correct tiles. And all the tiles have words on them. Well, for most of them. Okay. Uh, a lot of them have pictures now. And so you have to be really creative and know your team. You don't necessarily have to know your team. And actually, a really fun way of playing this is that you don't know your team, and that's a way to get to know them. So you, if you know them, you can sort of capitalize on you what you know about what they know. Right. But if you don't, then you might have to sort of make some inferences or do your best, but like you can't say anything else. You just say something like clouds three. And that I mean there's three cards related to that. Right. And then they try and guess all the cards that would be related. And if they guess an incorrect card, there could be different consequences. Like you either gave the other team a point, or you just can't guess anymore for that turn, or you lose the game entirely. Right. So it's it's really you get you have to be really creative, but the game's also fast. Like you can play it in just 20 minutes if you if your team doesn't take a thousand hours to make up their mind about what they think you meant, but that's <laughs> the game actually comes with the timer so you can make them hurry up. Oh, good. Another game on here is called suspicion. It is kind of like clue, but it actually requires a little more deduction than that. And essentially it's because you get this board that is a map of like a house. And what you do is in a single room, you can ask based on where people are in this uh, you don't know who are are what players in, on the board. You just there's a bunch of pieces, and then you basically try to figure out. Okay, there's some information that you know, and some information that other people know, and you can ask the question: Can this piece observe these things that are in the room around it? And you get like yes or no answers from the people. They like I think they hand you cards if, if I'm remembering correctly, and so you have to deduce who is which character. And I think there's maybe an object that they're associated with. It's been a while since I played, but that's the idea is you like have to deduce that by getting yet by asking questions for which you get yes or no answers to based on like where things are at on the board, what they should be able to see. Right. And so really interesting, super deduction based game. That's kind of fun. That sounds fun. That's I mean, it actually sounds really cool. So yeah. And that one's like, it's easy. It's available targets and you can get anywhere. Okay. We need to go faster than we're going. So I'm just going to sort of list them off and I'll try and I'll speak to some that I think are particularly good. Telestrations is a group for about four people, I think. Bananagrams is a word game. Point Salad is a set collecting game with just a card game. Felicity is a card game that involves bets and bluffing. So that one's fun. Anomia, a lot of people describe as a point and yell game. It's very loud, but also <laughs> a word association. Five Minute Dungeon is a co-op game and every round of the game lasts five minutes. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a match to sample. You're going really fast. It's like, it's just throwing cards as fast as you can. Good game. Okay. If you are interested in breaking into some games that are a little more complex and they are not necessarily expert level, but they're not super simple. They're not super simple. They're not super difficult, but it's sort of like, this is a good gateway to start looking at and exploring other games that are out there. Here's a list of games that I came up with. Flux is a card game. Reef is this really fun game where you are building coral reefs out of plastic pieces. That sounds amazing. It's, it's super fun. You have like this little reef pad and you just stack them up. It's really cool. Dice Forge. Amazing. It has modular dice. So you get to pop the sides off of your dice and they're like little Lego pieces almost. And you put yeah. on new sides to make your dice even better. Awesome game. That's wild. Forbidden Desert is a co-op game that's really cool. Mystic Veil is called a deck building game. It's a card game and the the cards are transparent except for a little piece of art. And so you can layer them on top of each other to make them better. And so it's a cool game. Sagrada is a dice drafting game. 
super mellow. If you were like into, if you wanted to get into a game where it's just really chill, slow, you just sort of work at your own pace. Sagrada is a good game for that. Castle Panic is another co-op game. <laughs> it's so fun because essentially what happens is there's a whole theme of these panic games. There's like Dead Panic and other, but Castle Panic is the one I'm the most familiar with. Essentially, there are orcs that are invading a castle and you're trying to play cards to stop them from doing that. And it's really difficult because there's lots of them. Well, I was going to say, that sounds like my house. <laughs> there you go. Castle Panic. <laughs> Castle Panic. It's basically, oh, for video gamers, this is, this is a tower defense game, but in like a board game format. So Nice. Azul is sort of a, a tile set collecting game. It's a lot of fun. It's super easy, really. It's high strategy, but the game is also relatively quick. Supports, I think, four players. Sushi Go Party is a, a set collecting card drafting game. So basically, you get a hand of cards, you get to choose one and then pass it. And you do that until the cards are gone. That also sounds like my house. <laughs> Sushi Go is one of the, that's one of the ones I use most frequently to help people break into games. Okay. I also think it supports about 10 people, so pretty good for larger groups. That's awesome. And the last one on this list is Pandemic. As I mentioned, that's that co-op card game where you are trying to defeat COVID-19. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right. For expert gamers, these are people at whatever level you're at, you want to dive into some super high strategy, expert level, complex, but amazingly fun games. My recommendations are Dinosaur Island. This is exactly Jurassic Park. They just didn't want to, I think, pay for copyright on that. (laughs) I mean... Also, bad idea. (laughs) Like, down to the letter. The game takes up, like, an entire dining room table, and it is so much fun. I absolutely love it. Mansions of Madness, I usually put as my favorite game ever. That is the Cthulhu-based game, where it's a co-op game where you use the app game is gigantic it has a bunch of different scenarios they come out with regular expansions all the time just amazing reavers of midgard is a dice game essentially and what it is you're all sort of playing in a way sort of viking ships and you just go around a board taking actions to get the most points so my favorite thing so far about these three in the expert gamers is that it sounds like you're reading chapter titles out of lord of the rings (laughs) It does. Maybe not Mansions of Madness, but... It still feels good, though. Castles it still of feels like it's like, yeah. yeah. yeah Castle, Castle Panic, Reavers of Midgard. Yeah, that's fair. The next one is kind of a cheat, and there's a whole series of games called Tiny Epic. And there's Tiny Epic Zombies, Tiny Epic Tactics, Tiny Epic Mechs, M-E-C-H-S, Tiny Epic Western. And the gameplay is actually very unique for each of them, and they're tiny, they're portable, so they, they're almost small enough to fit in your pocket. Maybe too fat for that, though. But they're these games that spread out to be really large, but they're in super compact boxes. Love them. A game called Vindication, a very large board game. Essentially, you're exploring an island, but it's there's a really high strategy in terms of the different ways that you can win. One called Endogenesis. This one's difficult because it only exists on Kickstarter right now, and I don't think it ever made it to wide-scale publication, but it is a really awesome game that you are essentially playing as gods is the theme <laughs> i remember you telling me about that one yeah you, that one sounded really really cool actually it's neat yeah i like it another one that's kind of a cheat there's a publisher i really like called genius games and these are all super super sciencey themed games and it's like they do a really good job of making accessible topics like the periodic table of elements and how cells and a body work and things like that and how to create metal alloys is another one of their games my favorite on that one would be periodic specifically but there's probably 12 or 15 games at least scythe this is a alternate history cyberpunk 1920s game 
where you're playing these factions trying to collect the most resources and get the most points basically really cool game and just amazingly well designed like really really well designed in terms of cool. overall game flow and everything yeah uh, terraforming mars is kind of exactly what it sounds like the board itself is mars and then you not the whole planet but you know it looks like mars um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Elon Musk loves that game. Yeah. <laughs> and essentially you're trying to just make Mars habitable by playing certain things that create like trees and water and that sort of thing. That also sounds like aliens. Fair. <laughs> yes. Prometheus. <laughs> Prometheus. Oh, please do not go terraform a planet. It's bad news for all of us. And the last one is Galactic Contract. This one essentially is you're just a cargo ship going around trying to complete as many contracts as you can to get points. And so Futurama. Yes, actually, this is very much like Futurama. Fewer jokes, but super fun. Awesome. I love it. I thought I'd recommend some two player only games. A lot of people are in that category. Lost Cities is a card game. Jaipur is also a card game. Morels is a card game based on collecting mushrooms. Fox in the Forest is a trick-taking card game. It sort of plays on some similar themes to other card games like Hearts and Spades because it's a trick-taking game, but it has these cool sort of cards have special abilities in them that make the strategy elevated. Onitima is a board game that looks like chess, but the way the pieces move changes game to game based on cards that you draw. Oh. Yeah, and it's super fun. It also plays in like 15 minutes. It's really fast. Patchwork is kind of a set-collecting game. In between, in between is like if Stranger Things was a board game. Essentially, one person <laughs> plays as the like the regular world, and the other person plays as the upside down, sort of. Yeah. And you're essentially trying to drag as many people into your different realms. So half of them start in the upside down, and half of them start in the real world, and then you're competing to bring in people to your thing. So that sounds very biblical too. It's really cool, and the art on it is pretty neat. A little cartoony, but but really good. Rose King is a game that is sort of like Othello in a way. Do you know what that one is? No, I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. Oh, Othe- Othello. I thought you said it's kind of like a fellow. And I was like, <laughs> just a random fellow on the street. A Rose King does sound like a fellow. <laughs> yeah. Othello. I'll say that clearly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, you're, you're placing pieces. Mastermind. This is a game that's, it's been around for a long time, but essentially you have, it feels like a cooperative game in a way, although you are competing with the other person in that you're trying to guess a code that they've selected and they are telling you whether you got any of it right. It's just a really cool game. So there's some guessing involved, but there's a lot of deduction involved in that one. And then the last one I'll recommend is Microbrew. This one can actually go up to four players if you have enough, if you have multiple copies of the game. The idea here is that you're brewing beer and you're competing with the other people to brew the best beer and to like attract customers. I feel like either Austin, Texas or Denver, Colorado will really love that game. <laughs> it's it, well, and the other thing, it comes in a tin about the size of an Altoid tin. So that the game itself is really, really small. And the idea is that it's portable. Nice. You need a, a decent amount of space to play it on, but it's, it's small. So it's not, you know, it is a little bit complex, but it's a, it's a cool theme and the, it is well executed, I think. Yeah. All right, the final set of games I was going to recommend here are uh, for large groups. And so this is where you're trying to have a large gathering. I get people all the time asking me like, oh, we have 45 people coming here. What's a game for that? I'm like, what is one activity at all that you can think of that caters to that many people? (laughs) Like, let alone games. Yeah, I'm like, there aren't things that people do in that large of a group, really. Not even orgies (laughs) are that large. So (laughs) that I'm aware of anyway. Not speaking from experience. <laughs> anyway, most of these games, you get up to 
10 or more players. Uh, there is one that goes up to about 25, but the first one is Spyfall. It takes eight minutes to play. You have to set a timer when you start and you're trying to deduce who's the spy. The spy is trying to deduce what the location is. Bang is a card game where you are trying to kill everybody. This is the last person standing. Deception is a cool deductive semi-co-op game where one person is the murderer and everyone else is trying to figure out who it is. And one person knows, but they can't, they can't give it away. Ah. So really cool that way. Happy Salmon. <laughs> this game is insane. It takes about one minute to play maybe, and it is loud and fast and you need a lot of space to stand and throw cards because it is just madness. Like you don't want a table for this. Actually, you want an open room. Nice. Yeah. You're just going to be throwing cards. And actually they make the cards like out of plastic basically so that because they're going to be stomped on and thrown and all kinds of stuff. It is, it is a crazy game. It's basically, there's like four actions that you do and you have to find someone else who has the same action as you. And then you do the action together and then you throw your card on the ground and go on to the next one. And you're just trying to get through all your cards. And the first one done wins and it goes oh, okay. really fast and it's just loud and crazy. Mafia is a hidden identity game, so you don't know who uh, there's, you know, some couple of people who are in the bad guys and you're trying to figure out who it is. There are really no pieces, honestly. It's just someone leads. They know who's, what's going on. My daughter said that she played that in school. Yeah, they actually do. Uh, Mafia and uh, One Night Werewolf or just Werewolf are games that people often play in settings like schools and groups. Team building exercises is another one. Yeah. And it's because the game is really interesting and in the social dynamics that it plays on. And there are a lot of variations on it. It's been around for a while. And I, th I think it actually started maybe as an internet game. Some people have claimed that they started it for a classroom, actually, like a college professor. Hmm. Interesting idea for a game. So yeah, there's a lot of bluffing involved in that one and deduction as well. What else? Anomia, I mentioned earlier, that's the one where you just, it's word association game, but it, it works for a large group. So I wouldn't recommend more than 10 people just because it starts to get really obnoxiously loud. Also, it's hard to see when you get that many people because everyone has their cards out in front of them. Exploding Kittens, if you play that with the expansion, and it's a funny name. <laughs> this is a last person standing game. Essentially, you're trying not to blow up because the kittens explode. So my favorite thing about this is that on the notes, it just says Exploding Kittens with expansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but a lot of games have what are called expansions. And I mean, it is essentially what it implies, which is just... It is an add-on to the game to add new rules, new pieces, more players, different themes, all kinds of stuff that you can do with expansions that usually just keep the game fresh or increase the number of options that you have in the game. The expansion I'm talking about adds an adult-only version, although you can just buy multiple copies of the game and combine them. Right. One called Merchandise. I think the limit on this is about 20-ish people. Maybe it's like 15. Honestly, there's no real reason to have a limit. The problem is that it's it, everyone takes turns. So if you have like 20 people, it's going to be a while before it's your turn again. But it, this is uh, just trying to collect the most number of points. So the per first person to reach, I want to say 21 points or something wins. And then Ion, it goes up to seven players, but this is one of those genius games. games. And essentially, you're just collecting sets of metals to make different alloys and whatnot. And the last one is zombie dice, and this is a, pr a push your luck dice game where you're just trying to get as many points as you can on your, on your turn, unless you roll certain things that would cause you to lose your points for that turn. All right. So you sort of roll roll until you either can't or you don't want to anymore. All right. All right. So I just listed like what sixty games. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of games, which is awesome because these are all games that maybe people haven't been exposed to, or maybe it's giving people ideas, or even just giving people to like maybe a spark to start researching some stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to put all of these in the show notes. If you want to learn more about them, I'll put links to them as well. And various pri uh, range of prices, various range of like time lengths, depending on what you're looking for. I hear people all the time tell me they're like, oh, I just want like a simple game that is uh, doesn't take very long. I'm like, to me, that's like saying 
I would like food with the least amount of flavor you can put in it, as bland and textureless as you can make it. That's that's the kind of food I'm looking for. I'm like, uh, okay, weirdo. No, to me, I love complex rule based games that have a lot of thought and strategy put into them, and there's a you know a big theme and all that. I could talk about this for so long. I'm one thing I I pride myself on my ability to teach people how to play games. I will sit down and read the rules dozens of times and watch videos on the games and make sure I understand it. I'll play it by myself as different people so that I feel like I understand it so that when I sit down to teach it to people, I know it so well that I can easily communicate the rules and get them playing right away and then can answer any questions that they have. And that allows me to be more successful because a lot of people, some of the rule books for these are 25 pages long or more. There is one right. Cthulhu Wars the rule book, I believe, is like 80 pages. It's a book. You actually pull out a full book. You have to read a book. Yeah. About 60 of those pages are like fluff and expansions and like rule clarification. But still, 20 pages is, is a lot. But it's it's also fairly intimidating. I can imagine as a casual game, you're like, oh, look, Cthulhu, that looks cool. And then you pull out this box that's the size of a television and a rule book that looks like a dictionary. And you're like, Never mind. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. And honestly, they on they don't usually have to be that complicated. And so I can sort of I pride myself on the ability to sit down and disseminate rules in a way that get people playing and understanding and having fun because most games just aren't that hard. Right. They look hard and it like there are a lot of rules, but they aren't they aren't that complex. Right. You know, once you've got the gist of it, you can sort of sit down and, and understand how to navigate most of the scenarios in a game pretty easily. For somebody who is a casual gamer, like it's really great to hear that there is kind of this really cool culture and social network and just ultimately this tribe, right? Like it's like, you know, we always talk about finding your tribe and getting in with your people. And like, this is one of those things where it's like, maybe now you have, maybe you didn't have one before, but maybe now you have a group of people that you can connect with and really bond over over this new thing that is really an entire culture in itself. Yeah, exactly. And I think I've only met a couple of people who, even when they got exposed to games, they got to play a few of them, they got to be successful and felt like they understood it, they still were just like, nah, not really in my scene. Most people can find at least a couple of games that they really like and latch on to and that that sort of becomes their go-to for how they'll spend the time. And you just don't have to be stuck playing games like Monopoly. Right. And sorry for those people who like that game. I don't. You don't have to be res- like resigned to like, oh, those are the options for games. There are some amazing games out there. It'd be like if someone was like, oh, I don't really watch TV because I'm not really a fan of the Kardashians. I'm like, there are better television shows out there, you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. All of them, basically. <laughs> Most of them. Exactly. Well, yeah, I would say literally all of them. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to get stuck just watching the Kardashians. There's like so many good shows out there. And that's true of games that people are like, well, yeah, I'm not really into it. And I'm like, believe me, there's something. Let's find something that's sort of your speed and you'll find at least a game or two that you want to play. You're like that really great bartender that like really works with you on finding the the beer that you like. That absolutely. And that's what it's like. If, if you can't relate to like tabletop games, if you've ever gone to a bar and somebody's like, well, what do you like to drink? And they're and you're like, I don't know. I kind of like this. And that bartender works with you and creates these drinks and kind of gives you a sample and like does all that. That's that's what Abraham does. So if you're interested in board games, he's your go to board game bartender. <laughs> it's actually it's, love it. it's funny you say that because you're people. That's how a lot of my friends are with me is they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a game that has these elements for this number of people. And I say, oh, how, how about these five games? 
thanks. You know? And so that's, yeah. I've become a lot of people's go-to because that's, that's a thing that I do. And I, I like doing it. Like I just, this is a, a world I want to spend all of my time in. And I just am so passionate about it. I love it. It's great. I don't use any illicit substances. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. I don't do anything. So my way of having fun is by learning and strategizing. I love it. <laughs> so, all right. I would love to talk about this more, but we should probably let everyone go. If you even made it this far. Awesome. I'll probably just keep recommending some of these games and explaining them a little more as part of the recommendation sections of upcoming episodes. But you know, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, no, I think that sounds great. I mean, I'm sure that I, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I appreciate you exposing us to this thing. Thanks, man. Yeah. Do you have any themes in particular that stand out for you? You know, I think the thing is, is just, it's one of those things where it's low stakes for the most part, high reward in terms of social interactions. And I think if you're one of those people that just has a hard time with social interactions, I think this is a good place to start. It will give you a place to kind of facilitate and really work in a space where there's an objective and you don't really have to focus on anything more than the objective and kind of interacting with people within that space. Yes. Yeah. I think that's absolutely. That's great. I kind of wanted to recommend one for you, but I wasn't sure. Are you competitive or not so much? Oh, I'm so competitive. It's so dumb. I used to play, I played like competitive, like state level sports when I was in school. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like super competitive. It's scary. Okay. Do you like direct combat with other players? Like if you're playing a game where like on sorry, that sort of thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I think bang is really your speed. I would check out bang if I were you. Okay. I'm going to add bang to my list. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bang is cool. Like the whole thing is you are just like, you're shooting at people. You're trying to block their shots at you. There's a hidden identity element. So there's a bit of deduction in it and it's it's super competitive last person standing style game. So I'm going to recommend that it is three or more players. So just so you know, you can't do a two player game with it. All right. I can do that. I can make that work. Cool. All right. Well, we've been talking for a while and that's cool. Hopefully you enjoyed this. And if you would like any recommendations, feel free to reach out to me because it's one of my favorite things to do is to talk about this and help guide people toward something that they would enjoy. So I love it. All right. Well, if you have any board games you would like to share your favorites with us, feel free to reach out to us on social media at podcast. You can also email us at info at that same string of initials there. Of course, subscribe if you haven't already on whatever platform you're listening to. Recommend us to a friend if you would like. And I think that's all we have. So thank you for listening. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo designed by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.